Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe as always. And connect with me on Instagram at HRTracy. That's H-R-T-R-A-C-I. I'm really excited for this week's episode, um, mostly because we're talking all about HR. And it's just me and you. I know I've had a lot of guests on recently, which for me, I really enjoy. I like to get to know people. I like to get to hear their opinions and their thoughts. But I can also tell that while you love having guests, you also love our one-on-one time. And so I'm glad to be, you know, coming back to the airwaves with, you know, just me and you this week. And, you know, we're stepping into July, which is insane. Um, And I, I have some exciting things planned for the rest of the year. So anyway, let's jump right into it. Today, I want to talk about a very exciting data point, which is that HR jobs have increased by 52.5%, meaning there are 52.5% more HR job postings than pre-pandemic. So if anything, what COVID gave us, what 2020 gave us was bigger opportunity, more opportunity to break into HR, which I know is a very exciting topic for many of you because some of you who are not currently in HR and you listen to this podcast, you are always asking for ways that you can kind of get into the industry. Well, guess what? Now is your chance. But 52.5% more HR job postings, like that's a lot. I mean, if anything, we do know that the, the, job market right now is competitive. We know this. We talked about it last week on last week's episode. Um, But why are companies investing in HR? Gosh, the question of the century, right? I should share that as always, any articles that I'm referencing or talking about or looking at, I will be sure to share in the show notes. So if you're interested in reading these articles yourself, definitely encourage you to do so. You can check in the show notes. But anyway, this makes me think of a time where let's, you know, let's close our eyes for a moment and imagine it's 2015, 2016, maybe. And nobody gets what HR does. No one understands why HR is so important. I remember back in my Target days when I was fighting tooth and nail to get my HR functions prioritized. And you know what? That's okay because that is what teaches you how to gain the buy-in from critical stakeholders or stakeholders in general. So I learned a lot from pushback that I got from various peers who maybe didn't totally understand the HR function. But I think about those moments that, you know, there was a maybe a confusion or a lack of understanding Maybe it's because HR doesn't inherently drive, you know, revenue, maybe, I don't know. But what I do know is that there is a reason why companies are investing today in the HR function. Fundamentally, it is because we are the ones that kept the businesses going during COVID. You all know my story. We were working extremely diligently. I wish there was a word that was bigger than diligent because that's what we were doing. Um, COVID was 
hands down one of the most intense and challenging and pivotal moments, I think, of every HR person's career because it really showed whether you would make it or break it. There are people who are in HR that left HR because of the impact that COVID had on our jobs, on our job descriptions, on our experience, on our workload, etc. Um, but now looking back on it, actually, for those of us who did kind of make it out of the storm, so to speak, there, there are some huge, huge lessons to be learned here that we can do so much more with how we provide support to our employees, with how we approach efficiency and how we streamline communication. I mean, all of those things remain true looking back on the, the COVID scenario, the COVID experience. So in this article, I'm going to read you a uh, a couple bullets here and a couple sentences. So this article is from Axios, um, and they're they're the ones that you know kind of took on this data and figured out this these data points for us. So they're saying that firms are facing two ma major or massive challenges in the next year or so, and they need to figure out what balance of remote and in-person work functions are best for their workforce. And they need to fill those open roles because we know this term, the great resignation. We've been talking about it on the last, I don't know, five episodes, at least pretty consistently and consecutively. Um, and so with these major challenges, these are problems that HR people have to solve or support in the solution of, and companies are looking for experts to help managers actually run these hybrid or all remote teams. And so the expertise in recruiting and onboarding and admin and all of those things are huge demand drivers right now. But here's the thing. These challenges, I think the, the third challenge that's missing from this article brings me back to how we navigated COVID. And I get that the remote and hybrid work is part of that, but that's not all HR does or, or all that HR did. I mean, when we think about what employees, I've been saying this, employees are in the driver's seat. Employers have to listen to employee demands. So understanding that, knowing that it's the employee who has the leverage here, HR is so critical, not only to hearing those demands and hearing the, the questions in the interviews and being able to develop the trends. It's the HR person who listens, creates a strategy and develops that strategy for execution. And I think that it, for me, at least this 52.5% of HR job postings compared to, or an increase in HR job postings compared to pre-pandemic times, that to me says that companies are starting to see the inherent investment that is made with HR teams. And not only the investment, but the return on the investment that a company receives when they do invest in an HR function. And I feel like we've talked about this before on the podcast, I'm like thinking about this and what context, but I guess it's really in the, um, maybe I talked about it on, in probably in the first five episodes that HR is not inherently seen as, um, an investment because there's no revenue to generate from HR just on paper. Right. But now I wonder if companies are seeing that the investment is through the people and that the investment is intrinsic in the function. I think I've digressed a lot through this sermon of mine, but hopefully you can hear the passion behind my voice around 
the respect that is being thrown on our names. I mean, we are finally, HR is finally getting some recognition, finally getting some credit. Maybe, you know, maybe in the next 10 years, we'll see, um, or maybe even in the next five years, we'll see that the HR function is even further prioritized, which takes me to my next point, that I think when we, when we think about roles that will transcend the future, that will be a part of the future, that won't be going anywhere. And I think that Axios, I'm kind of frustrated with this article because I think that they do miss the mark a little bit. I, I like to only talk about remote work. I mean, what do you think that we do in HR? I also think they're missing the mark on the DEI. That is one of the biggest focuses coming out of 2020 is that companies were investing in their DEI initiatives as they should. Axios, how could you miss that one? 52.5% of jobs, and we think it's only because of remote work? No way. I mean, when you think about industries that can't be hybrid or can't be remote, there are industries that we are missing here when we're only talking about remote and hybrid work. So Axios, this is feedback for you. That 52.5% represents so much more than HR being in demand because of employees wanting to work remotely. So taking those two things, we have, you know, remote and hybrid work demands and just employee demands in general. Two, we have the need for recruitment experts and people who are really going to fill these roles with top talent. And three, again, this comes down to me for the DE&I roles and belonging and wellness. I think that is probably the majority. And then fourth, for me, I think it's that companies are just fundamentally understanding the HR function better because there is so much employee demand. The reason why I even found this article is because um, on LinkedIn, Donna Morris, who is the executive vice president, chief people officer at Walmart, she shared this article from Axios and her um, statement is basically that she sees that this is a sign of um, coming through the challenges of the past year that organi organizations are finally recognizing the importance of the HR function. And I totally agree. I totally agree. So again, if you are interested in breaking into HR, this might be the perfect opportunity because there are 52% more jobs than there were in 2019. Let me know what you think. I'm going to leave all of that there. I get very passionate about this topic of HR jobs and people breaking into HR, but I want to save enough time to answer a question that I received through Instagram. And it's kind of a question, but kind of not. So this person wants me to talk about mental health discrimination, despite the company saying that they care about their employees and they want that they care about mental health, for example. So this obviously is a little bit less of a question than it is like a, you know, a statement or a request on discussion. And here's what I'll say. Anytime I see the word discrimination related to, you know, something that I have no information on, I, I do try and sift through where is this coming from? Like, was there real discrimination? Was it substantiated? Or is this like a feeling and the person needs to report it? So I'm going to separate the two. And I did respond to this person asking for some clarification. And I have to say, I always hesitate when I see that word discrimination because it's like, well, I wasn't involved in the investigation if there was one. And 
the the person on the outside is not going to have all of the information, even if they're told the full story, right, from the person who reported it, that's not necessarily everything that happened. So I just want to preface that I'm working with the information that I've got. So the first thing is I kind of want to separate these two things. One is about mental health and a company doing and saying different things. And then the second is around like how companies react when someone has a medical diagnosis that they've shared. So, and that could be an episode on its own. So I will be super brief with my reply on that. As it relates to companies saying one thing and doing another, that's a cultural issue, right? That's something where if the company says that they care about wellness and belonging and that they want you to take time to care for yourself and your health and your mental well-being, and then they don't give you the room to do that, that's a problem, right? But there are a few things that you as an employee can do or you as a coworker can do to support the wellness journey of that person or of yourself, which is to say, hey, company or hiring manager or whatever, you, you know, these are all the benefits that are provided to me. I'd like to take advantage of them. How do you recommend I go about doing that? Um, when I think about, you know, mental health, a couple of things come to mind. The first is like, do they have, uh, do they give you access to an employee assistance program? If yes, then there's actually no barrier to entry there. You just contact them and they can support you. Um, and there are also, I mean, if you are a benefits eligible employee, you potentially have access to, um, therapy at, you know, lower cost or through these apps like Talkspace. I've mentioned it on my podcast before. Those different programs also, um, sometimes are provided as resources to employees. So when I think about like this statement on mental health, um, and like companies not actually valuing it, it's hard for me to really understand what the perspective here is fully and what the comprehensive situation is because I, I'm not there. But I think if a company is saying that they're going to do something, they're going to care about something, then we have to hold our companies accountable to doing and saying those things because they've told us that they value those resources and moments of, you know, personal growth. Um, this person, so when I asked for clarity, this person said that they don't practice what they preach. Like the company doesn't practice what they preach. That's, you know, to me, I think what I would do is actually, I would go to the person that's in charge of these benefits, whether it's an HR person or, you know, if it's a smaller organization, maybe it's the CEO or CFO and really talk through the challenge here and that there is a problem that needs to be solved to make sure that there isn't a barrier to entry in the things that we offer as a benefit. I think if you are, if you are an employee or an HR person or a person on the outside looking in, you know, my message is always to think critically. Like we, we'll always support our friends and our coworkers, right. That we're connected with like ride or die. Right. Um, but there are, there sometimes are other explanations and there sometimes are other examples or things that are going on that result in the decision made by an employer. And I say that to take us into this topic on discrimination and medical diagnosis, or diagnoses. So hopefully it goes without saying that I can't give a full professional opinion without having all of the information. But this person who wrote to me said that an employee basically shared or was forced to share their medical diagnosis because of 
different things that happened, I guess, in the workplace that were triggers of her medical diagnosis. Um, and that then she, I guess she disclosed her medical diagnosis in order to protect herself. Um, I think it seems like maybe she was afraid of termination. It also seems that maybe this person was terminated and that the person who wrote to me is, is saying or alleging that she was terminated wrongfully. Um, and that she signed, it looks like maybe it was a separation agreement that prevented her from obtaining, uh, you know, legal counsel, which I will say separation agreements do have language often that talk about, you know, obtaining legal counsel. It's there for a reason because the separation agreement is meant to, uh, acknowledge that this is like a mutual agreement and that one is not going to take basically like leverage, uh, you know, a lawsuit against the other as a result of the, you know, mutual agreement. That's super like vague. I'm barely scraping the surface there. So don't, don't like quote that as being the end all be all because there's so much more to separation agreements. Um, but it, it does seem like there's a little bit of, um, a lack of understanding potentially from the employee because actually you don't have to sign a separation agreement. So coming to this whole, you know, discrimination, wrongful termination, you know, disclosing medical information, I just want to break this down. But in most cases, employers can't say, do you have a mental health issue? Are you like, what are, you know, what symptoms are you having? It fully depends on the EEOC and the ADA. So those two programs and initiatives have stipulations around what employers can ask and say and do. Um, but when there is a reason to believe that someone um, needs an accommodation, so in this case, someone is struggling with a mental health diagnosis and it is impacting their work, presumably, if that's how the employer started to get involved, I am going to assume that that's because they were not performing as they normally would. And so there was a question around like, do you need an accommodation? Employers are allowed to ask for medical documentation if you need an accommodation. So this employee didn't necessarily need to disclose their diagnosis, um, but it is expected that if you do disclose your medical diagnosis, that is considered confidential and it's, you know, it's maintained in a confidential nature and it's obviously treated sensitively and all of those things. And we should be able to assume that that's happening. But if there's a reason for you to doubt your HR people, then, you know, that you probably should leave the company anyway, if you can't trust someone with your most private information, for example. Um, but employers can walk through a medical accommodation um, discussion, and it's called an interactive process. And so let's think about it this way. If an employee is pregnant and she needs to sit every 15 minutes or she can't work more than six hours a day, that is a reason to request medical documentation from a doctor around what the accommodation request is. That is the interactive process. Can you climb a ladder? Yes or no. Can you lift 15 pounds or more? Yes or no. That is inherently the interactive process to not only protect the employee from any you know undue harm, but also to protect the employer to make sure that everything is very clear. And then, and I've talked about this before, employers then 
you know, evaluate what the accommodation request is and they evaluate whether or not they can make the accommodation and it needs to be a reasonable accommodation. That is the obligation of an employer that they make reasonable accommodations for their employees. So again, I can't fully comment on this situation because I was not involved in the entirety of the situation. But it sounds like maybe there's a bit of a misunderstanding around what employers can and can't do. And it also sounds like maybe the employer didn't handle the situation so well. Um, so if you are an employee, you should do your due diligence when you are engaging in those kinds of conversations. You should never feel pressured to share information that you don't have to share. But you should also know that if you are saying that you, you know, can't work with certain people or you can't work certain hours or certain days or whatever that you might then be asked to provide medical documentation. Perfect example. If you are unable to be vaccinated and your employer is required to be vac to requiring that all employees of the company are vaccinated and you have a medical reason or another type of reason as to why you can't be vaccinated, you will likely be required to provide um, a medical documentation as to why you are unable to be vaccinated. Does it have to explain every single reason why in all of your medical diagnoses? No, because doctors are not going to provide that information because of HIPAA rules and things like that. Again, super general information here, but the doctor or, you know, the medical note can say that so-and-so person requires X, Y, and Z as an accommodation. And that's on that. I mean, it is a huge discussion. There's so much more that I can go into, but for the sake of time, I cannot today, but I will add it as a topic to discuss at a later date. And maybe we'll just go through that whole process. You should also know if you, you know, maybe you're going to listen to this episode five years in the future, whoever is listening to this in 2026, I'm talking to you. Laws change, rules change, policies change. So if you are listening to this anytime after June 29th, 2021, make sure you are up to date if you want and need the most accurate information because these laws and policies and expectations change constantly. And it's one of the many uh, responsibilities of an HR person to stay on top of those changing discussions and policies, especially, I mean, lawsuits change a lot of things. They change a lot of laws, but every state and province and locality and government has different rules and laws. And if you're listening outside of the U.S. and Canada, you can have a totally separate set of laws and rules. I'm speaking specifically about the U.S. when I talk about or I answer this question because this is a U.S.-based employee that asked that question. So, Hopefully, uh, that helps in some way, um, but that is all that I can basically share with the information that I do have. And on that note, I would like to invite you to check out my website. I did go through a little rebrand, so if you don't follow me on Instagram, then you don't know that I did rebrand my website. So if you go to hrtracy.com, you'll see that I've kind of rebranded everything, and I've also added a shop. So if you are looking to buy a cover letter template, resume template, if you are even looking to have your resume edited or consulted on by me, you can check out my shop and learn more there, but no pressure either way. I figured I'd just extend the option. Have a wonderful and happy 4th of July weekend if you are in the U.S. And if you're not, 
you can celebrate 4th of July weekend too. I will have an episode next week. Follow me on Instagram at HRTracy. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and I will see you next week. Thank you.